This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guests this week are Ryan Hughes and Stephen Leonard, the creative team behind Atlanta showroom R. Hughes. In a time when some in the industry are questioning the multi-line model, Ryan and Stephen have created a destination that does everything showrooms are supposed to do. Showcase product in new ways, inspire designers, and draw visitors from near and far. More than one industry insider has told me R. Hughes is the most exciting showroom in America. I talked with Ryan and Stephen about why they moved from a new development to a design center, the importance of putting their own brand first, and how everything from hardwood flooring to the right Spotify playlist can make all the difference. This podcast has been sponsored by Henry Built. Never before have you been able to buy Henry Built a la carte. Now you can. Primary Objects by Henry Built is a standalone line of furniture made with the same love and care that provides a wider range of options for outfitting your client's home. Primary Objects collection includes islands, pantries, seating, tables, vanities, dressers, upholstered furniture, and storage solutions that are built to last. Primary Objects can be purchased directly online through their website, henrybuilt.com. This podcast has also been sponsored by Industry West. We all know it can be tough to find really great modern furniture and decor that's affordable, feels as good as it looks, and just generally makes you happy. Industry West believes that buying good design should be inspiring, fun, and easy. From dining and lounge chairs to sofas and end tables and more, Industry West offers high-quality products and goes to great lengths to ensure customer happiness. They also offer an amazing trade program, providing industry-best warranty and lead times. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with killer design that can make even your highest traffic rooms feel like a getaway, visit industrywest.com. And now, on with the show. Ryan, Stephen, thank you so much for making the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Well, I'm I'm excited to have you. It's an interview I've actually wanted to do for quite a long time and kept hoping we'd be together in person, but that's not going to happen these days. So <laughs> here we are. I, I Before I jump into the, the business side of things, I wanted to touch a little bit on the friendship part of this story. Ryan, can you tell me when the friendship between the two of you sort of first began? Well, ironically, uh, we actually met in a chat room <laughs> on AOL. Is, is that right? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if I should be admitting that or not, but <laughs> it, it's the truth. <laughs> I love that. And what was this chat room? What were you chatting uh, about? Well, I, I don't want to. Okay. Well, I don't know. We were, okay. we were making... Stephen was in high school. I was at UGA. He was actually... He was planning to come to UGA, and so... Uh, that's kind of how all that started. Got it. Okay. Um, but but you but you became friends, and neither of you really set out to be in the design industry, if I recall. No, we both we both were in the business school at UGA, uh, and we both have degrees in real estate and finance. So no, neither neither one of us set out to be in this this industry, or or thought we were going to make money from this industry. How is it? How is it? You you both sort of came to this industry. So I came to it, um, I was actually working on a 
senior redevelopment project uh, and you had to pick a building uh, to redevelop it. And I was talking to my dad about it and I was very interested in the paint colors it was going to be and the light fixtures that I was picking out for it. And I had this moment, my dad looked at me, he said, son, I, I think you're you're more interested of how the building's going to look than the income that it's going to produce. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I really thought about it. And I went back to class and I was looking around and I thought, this isn't the industry that I want to be in. And I had grown up, my mom was a designer growing up. So I... I'd been around it and I knew it's something that I always loved, but I just didn't ever think of it, as Stephen said, as a career. But I had that moment when my dad said that to me, I'm like, I'm not going to let fear hold me back from this. This is what um, you, you thought, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, I did. And yeah. uh, so I connected with this friend of mine who knew a designer in New York and I met with him and he said, you can't get anywhere in this industry unless you you know, go to Parsons Design School and do all this. And I'm like, well, I'm not <laughs> going back to school. I don't have any more money. Uh, so that's not an option. I said, just introduce me to everyone you can at the D&D the &D building. And so he introduced me to, to some different showroom managers there, which then made a connection with Hal and Winton at Ainsworth Noah. And so I interviewed with them and they said, you know, Ryan, you don't have a design degree. You have no experience, but we'll hire you and you can kind of just get the mail and do this, you know, help people out, run errands. So I had this degree and started doing that for $10 an hour. <laughs> that and certainly I, seemed I, like what you thought you'd get from your degree, right? <laughs> right. Working in the memo room at Ainsworth Noah. Welcome to the world. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I proved myself there. I, I worked my way up. I then became a salesperson there. And so it really, it led me to the, in the right direction. Well, that's great. And, and, and Stephen, what about you? Um, well, I decided that I was going to work at a bank in Athens right after college, um, which was uh, a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> but so uh, Ryan knew I hated it there. I would go visit them because, uh, they had a, a, apartment in Atlanta at the time. So I would go visit them on the weekends. So Ryan stepped in and was like, well, there's an opening at Ainsworth Noah. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think you should at least investigate it. Uh, so I interviewed with Winton um, and then I got a job there and worked there for th three years, I'm pretty sure. Is that right? So you worked there for, right, for about three years? Yeah. And and, and Ryan, the, the financial crisis comes along and... In, in around 2009, Ryan, mm -hmm. you've mm -hmm. you've decided it's 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 time to to make a change. Help me understand so, sort of what the what the mood was during the previous financial crisis in 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 the business where you were. The industry was becoming deflated. I mean, it just there was no life in it at the time. Um, there was a lot of pressure uh, to sell, and you know we worked off of commission, and the sales just weren't what they were. Um, so I was making less money. Uh, I was not happy. I knew that I needed to, I needed the next step. That's just kind of my personality. Crazy enough, uh, the idea to start this showroom came to me in a dream one night. And I, I don't know how that that is. But I remember eyeing this, this space and this idea um, on the west side of Atlanta. And I just saw it in a, in a vision of what it was going to be. And I remember calling my parents the next morning and I was like, I'm going to quit and I'm going to open my own showroom. And they were like, well, <laughs> how are you going to pay for it? 
I'm like, I don't know. I'll, fi- I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'm going to do it. I, I want to do it. This is what I'm going to do. So I was very determined when I had this idea. And I was just hoping that, you know, it would, you know, turn into something. But I wasn't sure. <laughs> but yes, it started with an idea. <laughs> it, it started with a dream. Literally it a dream. With, it, literally <laughs> a dream. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't come from money. Like it, everything was, I was, I knew I would have to, to be self-made. And I mean, right. gosh, lenders weren't le- lending any money at the time. Uh, that was just a joke. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you decide you're going to leave Ainsworth. Do you, do you, do you share this with, with Stephen, your, your dream and, and what you're I, thinking? I, yeah, I share it with him. Okay. Um, and then I went to the developer uh, on the West side and shared just the idea with him to see if he would be interested. And he was, he liked what I wanted to bring to his development. And so he believed in it. Uh, he. What did you he, tell him? How did you articulate what your what your vision was at the time? I told him that I thought because in in his idea that building was going to room and board was going in there. Noel was there, and so I told him I he thought too that this was going to be like the next exciting design destination in Atlanta because at the time ADAC showrooms were closing. People just, the the energy was not in that building at the time. And so he was excited that I was going to bring this high-end, high-energy showroom to his development. Uh, I had a a notebook that I had printed, like, pictures of. I mean, I didn't have any lines. You didn't have any vendors that you had lined up at this time, right? Zero. 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 Okay. So what were you showing him? Things you you had seen (laughs) online? Yeah, seeing things I had found online that I thought would be a good fit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I remember, didn't you you find ochre online originally? Yeah, I did. I did. I did. And I found June Ho online. I remember cold calling June. And I told him, and he's like, Ryan, this is the craziest thing. A gentleman named Thomas Lavin, I got the same phone call from him 10 years before you. And Thomas is, this is Thomas's 20th anniversary. Thomas's runaway success. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, So this could be something. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good omen. It just kind of started like that. And um, I had shared everything with Steven and we were going to do it together. And I, I got cold feet about that. Mostly because I I had very little financial backing. I had two small loans, one for my cousin and one for my grandmother. I was like, this we could this could fall flat. I could lose everything. I just I need to do this by myself. I, I don't think we can do this together. So, and my mom was unemployed at the time, so she I asked her. I was like, Mom, can you work with me? Do you want to do this with me? I can't pay you. (laughs) So, and she's, she's still with the business today, uh, 10 years later. So anyway, my mom and I were on the West side. And a beloved figure within the business, I understand. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. So she's, um, and I'm very close to my mom. And so, I mean, we've had our ups and downs working together, but in the end, it's, it's been really, really great. So anyway, um, (laughs) so it was just the two of us working over on the West side and, uh, I had to fake it. I mean, vendors would come like, what's your outside sales program, I was like, oh, Susan goes on the road all the time. I mean, a complete lie. <laughs> so anyway, it was, we were, it was a, it was a major struggle. I mean, I was, I was six months behind in rent by 2011. I mean, it was, it was tough and I didn't lose hope, but there were days that I thought it was, it was going to fail. And I had, I had sent Barry Dixon, who's, who was a really good client of mine at uh, Ainsworth Noah and, 
to this day is a very good client of our use, a, a package of, of different catalogs and things that I thought he would like. And he had quoted a lot, but I didn't know what was going to what was going to become of it. And the developer had a meeting with me um, one morning at, at very early. And he said, Ryan, I hate to tell you this, but you're six months behind in rent. This business is not working. Mm. It's not working for me. It's not working for the designers. It, no one gets it. That was a very low moment for me. I can imagine. Uh, yeah. And uh, so fast forward two weeks later. Over $100,000 worth of purchase orders come from Barry Dixon's office. Barry Dixon, the hero. (laughs) Yes. So uh, I was like, I said, I looked at my mom. I said, mom, this is, this is happening. We're, we're moving forward. This business is going to work. And I sent all the vendors their money and I had just enough money left to send the landlord the rent. And that wow. is what I did. Wow. And it was still not easy. I had just caught up. So Stephen approaches me. He said, Ryan, I think you need help. <laughs> <laughs> Please let me come help you. <laughs> and I did. And I did. And I, and I believed in Stephen. Stephen has a, a great uh, vision. And it, I, there was not, I had no doubt that Stephen wasn't the one to, to grow this business with me. It was, that was never a question. And so um, tell me at that time, Ryan, tell me what some of the lines that you had brought in were. Ochre, Kudata, okay. Junho. Jean de Mary uh, was a big break. Uh, we signed them. Getting them I on board. Them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I signed them in 2011. Uh, those were the, the, the okay. top ones that I can remember. Stephen, do you remember any uh, others? Mark Holly, Helena Mont. Yeah, Helena Mott was an original. Mm. I had call, I had had a phone conversation with Helena Mott. She's the the sweetest woman. I I signed her in a Home Depot parking lot one night at like nine o'clock. <laughs> I, I mean, I really had to sell myself on the phone. I couldn't even afford to travel to to Los Angeles. I I mean, a plane ticket was out of my budget. You know, well, so. you, you weren't even paying yourself at the time for so no. long, right? I mean, no. I, I really no. I don't know how you were making it all work. It it, it it's an amazing story. And, and part of it was that you you wanted to bring these new product lines to the to the south right that was part of your yeah. your mission in all of this so when I when I had my first call with ochre you know they said well Ryan you're the perfect fit we've toured the design center in Atlanta and we you know Harriet is very she's anti-design center she's got a storefront in Soho and I'm like yes this is the vibe I've got this kind of warehouse cool space. The location was good for drawing the vendors that were forward thinking at the time. Um, Mm. But there's different with a vision and what's cool versus what works uh, for sale. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out those things don't always go together. They they don't. Um, And Kyle Bunning was another one. I mean, he was he came to us and, you know, he was he's like, what you're doing is so cool. You know, so we had momentum. uh, it, about the space in terms of interest from vendors you you, you had momentum yes. yes well we and we stood i'll tell you dennis what was what was also really good about that space is we stood out people were in the, the industry were paying attention to what we were doing because it was different mm. but that was a big factor uh of of making this work although still the sales quite <laughs> weren't quite there still because <laughs> right. <laughs> right. tra- traffic was challenging showroom traffic was challenging at that location yeah. So Stephen Stephen comes on board. He takes a chance on you, Ryan, and yeah. comes on board. 2012, right, Stephen? 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. I mean, Ryan had a major poker face during this whole time, um, even, <laughs> even to me. Like, I, I knew that he wasn't um, succeeding the way that he wanted to, but I, he definitely put, like, the best face forward and, like, always said that things were going great. Um, right. But I, but, I, <laughs> but I did know that he was trapped there. Like, it was just him and his mom. Like, he couldn't just leave the showroom for days at a time to go see clients or to travel out of town. Um, and our territory is five states. Um, so I was like, Ryan, I, uh, this just makes sense. Uh, I was like, I can, I can travel. I can be in clients' offices. Um, I think this is what's needed to just get over this hump. We plugged along. I was able to get out, uh, go to a few different uh, cities, Birmingham, Charlotte, but I, I, again, was running into some of the roadblocks that Ryan was running into uh, in Atlanta. People thought it was cool and interesting, and they were excited about it, but were they ready to purchase it, or were they ready to place it? Were, there, were their clients comfortable enough with it yet to move forward? Um, so, it, I mean, it took just education to get... Help me understand some of that resistance a, a little bit. What, what was the what was the sort of uh, the design style of the, of the time in Atlanta that... Where, where your products felt a, a little out of out of sync with i i have a hard time commenting if i think the style was out of sync okay um, i, I, think I, I was, guess what i mean is i think people saw you as more sort of modern yes, or, or for something sure. right for sure yes yeah um but but i do think it was just like the fear of that i mean they have to step out on a limb too to play something that they are unfamiliar with um it's it's their their name on the line with their client uh, right. I don't know. Suzanne Castler used to say, "Oh, that's that's too modern for my project." She now puts on every project today. <laughs> um, right, but, I, but I think, I, that's what I was trying to get to. Like it, yeah. it seemed too modern at the time, and then suddenly they embraced it, and now can't do without it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, but, but in I, the beginning, it was it was tough selling for you. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Dennis it's just it's like with anything in life it's familiarity it's yeah. like what you're familiar with what you're comfortable buying the the, the product that you're you know the vendor is going to stand behind and all of these products were brand new so no one really knew anything and so that was really the challenge yeah. I don't even know if it was the st- well, I mean maybe it was a little bit about the style I didn't think it was too modern yeah so you know we right. were we were we were always like named like oh our Hughes is this like modern showroom and I don't look at us as a super modern showroom. I never have. Yeah. Um, but the, the community did. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they seem to have labeled you. Right. right, that, right. Yeah, exactly. It just seemed a yeah. little bit more contemporary than many yeah. of the things that you would, you would see exactly. in Atlanta. And certainly the things that you saw in the publications that covered the Atlanta market. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. We're taking a quick break to remind designers about Henrybuilt and their new line of furniture, Primary Objects. Intelligent luxury, one piece at a time. Consider Primary Objects as building blocks for your kitchen, wardrobe, or bath. Armoires, bars, or pantries can be combined with your existing design project or integrated into Henrybuilt's interchangeable fitting system, OpenCase. You can access trade pricing and more information on Henrybuilt's new trade site. Go to henrybuilt.com to register. And now, back to the show. Yeah. So tell me when, tell me when the, the fateful connection with, with Holland and Sherry happens, because that's the next big step. One of my friends uh, who works 
in, is in the design industry. Um, she called me and she said, Holland and Sherry is here. They are looking at showrooms. They've got this new business model. And I think they're about to sign with another showroom. You've got to talk to them. <laughs> so he cut at the time uh, we met with this gentleman right we talked to him about he came to the west side and all this you know um and he liked the showroom uh but he did say he's like i'm going to tell you right now the challenge is this location for us you know we want to be at a, at a design center um and he said but you know what i like what you guys are doing I think you should talk to Brian Dicker. Um, yes. And we should point out for listeners that Brian Dicker is the president of, of Holland and Sherry, yes. just so that everyone understands who we're talking about. Okay. Yes. yes. And I remember that call very well with Brian because Brian's a New Yorker. You know, I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I can be, I was intimidated by him. I guess I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, I can see and, that. Brian can be yeah. an intimidating figure. Sure. And he's, he's wonderful. Yes. I mean, I adore him, but he, he was intimidating on that call. And he said, Ryan, he's like, we can only do this if you open a, a small showroom at ADAC. And keep in mind, this was in 2013. And we had just, I mean, I think maybe we had written ourselves like the first paycheck. I mean, it was the idea of opening another location was like crazy to me. <laughs> it didn't seem like, like a time to expand, right? <laughs> but I, it didn't. It was like the worst time ever. <laughs> But I knew that it was very it was very important to have a fabric house like that on board with us. Right. I knew it. Right. And and people had given me advice when I started. They're like, Ryan, this showroom's not gonna work without fabric. But fabric wasn't really my true passion. My true passion is furniture and lighting. So the idea that Holland and Sherry came with us was a showroom within a showroom. So they have their own employees. It was just it was the perfect concept for us and what we wanted to do. I, he's like, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll figure out how to, you know, get this build out done. And I'm, and I'm also terrible with budgets. Cause you know, I like only the best. <laughs> so that was a struggle too. <laughs> um, and so we just, I negotiated with ADAC and we just, we made that space happen. It was, it was like a shotgun showroom, if you can imagine what that looks like. So half of it right. was Holland and Cherry, and the other half was some lines that we represented, like Kyle Bunning. Uh, we filled in with just like a little bit of furniture just to kind of tease people. Um, I mean, our, our goal was to hopefully have people come in, see a little bit of the furniture, and then be inspired to go to the West Side. Um, so that was right. the goal. I wouldn't say that that is actually what happened in reality. The design center is so convenient and easy for designers. Like the thought of leaving there, getting in their car, driving across town, navigating parking, <laughs> like that, it just wasn't. It just wasn't happening. Um, yeah. And then, and then we were getting requests from them, be like, "Well, why don't you show more of this here? Why don't you show more of this? Can you bring this over so my client can see it?" It's like, "Well, no, we can't bring over a ten foot sofa one afternoon <laughs> so your client can see it." <laughs> right. Yeah. But I can imagine that request very yeah. easily. Yes. Yeah. Um, also Ryan was at that showroom that was getting less and less traffic because more and more people were coming to us at the design center. Um, so morale there was way down. We were like, we, we got to fix this. The lease is up right. in, I think a, a year. I was like, but this, this isn't working. So um, you, but, you, 
you realized that you, you needed to bring the two spaces together ultimately it sounds like yes 100%. we did we did we did yeah when you when you were ready to sort of make the move and to to have one big showroom in, in adac it sounds like there might have been some resistance from some of your vendors at the time who didn't want to be shown in the design center is that right in a way i mean i i, 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 <laughs> I would say yeah uh, they didn't want to be in the design center in 2010 but i think in 2015 things had changed okay there was new management at adac that building was it was a different building and i i credit to that the to the current team there right. they're absolutely amazing okay so it so it had changed a great deal since it many of changed. them had seen it originally it changed a great deal. I, I mean, us putting in an entire storefront wasn't really just like approved the next day, but you know what I mean. It was, <laughs> it was, it was on the, it was on the horizon to change. Right. Sure, and and as we were talking earlier, many of them thought that their brand belonged out on the out on the street or in some different kind of location where perhaps they weren't as as surrounded by all these other brands that might or might not sort of fit in with their look and feel, right? That's part of the challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think so. But but you you shared with them your your vision for what this what this space was going to be. Tell me tell me about the the, the building out process of, of the space and and what it became. Well, I I knew that I wanted it to feel different than than anything else at ADAC. So we had determined that. Uh, I I had really admired Smith Haynes, who has done a lot of the restaurants in Atlanta that I, I love. And I, the reason I love his work is because all of his spaces give you an experience. And I thought to myself, why can't a showroom give you the same experience as when you go to your favorite restaurant? It, it should, in my opinion. So that was, that was the initial idea for the showroom is to make it feel like something and to be something different. So I remember calling a friend and she said, you need a calling. Oh, I just thought I'm like, he's not going to work with us. We can't afford it. We just, we're already, I already know what this is going to become. Like hiring someone like this to then do all the renderings. It's just not, that. that's not going to happen. Uh, she said, no, Ryan, you really need to call him. So I called him and uh, Steve and I met with Smith and we told him what we we wanted to do. And he said, well, I want to make this budget. I want to make this work for you guys. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, he just said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he like capped the budget like or like his fee. I just was like, I didn't think he was going to do that. Uh, so you know, lesson, you never know until you yeah. ask. But um, yeah. anyway, so he came back with the the vision board and the presentation for that that show that space and just absolutely nailed it. It was everything that we that we wanted and what we thought. Well, so so tell me sort of what were some of the most important elements of what you wanted to create in that in that space. What was most important to you? The well, the biggest thing and Smith brought this to the table was the flooring. So a lot of showrooms, well, back in the day, they were carpeted, <laughs> which we definitely didn't want that. Um, and then like the new wave, there were just like polished concrete. And so Smith and I were talking about some of the su success of his restaurants. And he's like, you've got to put a floor in. And I said, what does that mean? He said, <laughs> I think you need a wood floor. And I said, we need a wood floor in the entire 9,000 square feet space. He's like, yes. And he's like, and it needs to be old wood. <laughs> I was like, 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that was one of the biggest. That was an expense. <laughs> very expensive. <laughs> but let me tell you, very worth it. It, 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 it set the tone for the showroom. It really did. And he was right. And so it was nice to have him push push us to some of those decisions that were very important and very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) One of the not as expensive items that was a game changer as well was adding the windows. Um, And Mm. that that was a fight for us with ADAC. Um, So the windows and the storefront were probably our biggest challenges with ADAC, getting them to rethink uh, ways of doing things. Um, But having that natural light in there again, takes you to a different place and doesn't make you feel like you're just in a strip mall. Um, and uh, one of our first meetings with Smith, we talked about the, sh- the space feeling more like a gallery or a museum um, mm. and, and figuring out ways that we could showcase the, the furniture and the lighting that, that wasn't a traditional just vignette or a living room scene or a dining room scene. Um, so all of that space planning was really thought out up front. And the the space, so so many people. When I, I ask them about you guys, they they talk about that showroom like it's it, it's just one of the best showrooms that they've ever seen. I mean, they they just sort of go on about it. I think I told you when I was first talking to Brian, he said, "Why do you want to talk to these guys? Go see that space. <laughs> go see it. It's, it's all about like that amazing space and what they do." And he he gets so excited about how creative you guys are and how talented you are and the the level to which you raise their product and, and and I'm I'm assuming some of your other vendors probably feel the same way in terms of how you show them and sort of elevate their their brands. Uh, I I believe that's true and that's a very kind thing for Brian to say. <laughs> <laughs> um but I, the, the showroom is our like laboratory, like that's where we play, and it's uh, it's always always changing. Things are always moving. We love to sell stuff off the floor. Uh, we love to sell our best sellers off the floor, just because that means we can reorder it in a different fabric or reimagine it in a different configuration. And I I, I believe that that's why people continue to say that it's their favorite showroom is because they can walk in it several times a year and feel like they're in a completely different space. And I, I think if if our client is a designer, is a creative, um, that is necessary for the success of our business is to constantly feed their creativity and give them something else to, to think about. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we spend a lot of, we invest a lot in photography and we do a lot of photo shoots in-house. All of the photography on our website is done in-house. We don't rely on vendor photography, although we do use it, but um, we were big believers in our brand and then sub brands under it instead of just relying on vendors and their brands. 2015, when we opened the showroom and then a picture in 2017, I was like, oh my gosh, I loved that vignette. And it's interesting. I love just as the, I love the way the showroom looked just as much, you know, five years ago, three years ago. And that is a, to me, that's inspiring. And I think that that's what keeps designers inspired. And that was another reason, uh, a big part of of wanting to be different is I didn't want to see the same vignette in a showroom even six months after the first time I saw it. I think it's boring. Because of COVID, like half of our new samples got delayed and I cannot wait to turn that showroom upside down. We like, <laughs> we're used to changing it like four times a year completely. So I'm ready for it. 
Well, and so so let's get into that a little bit because I think as you were as you were just discussing, it's it's one of the things, it's one of the many things that you do to sort of set yourself apart. You do these massive floor changes three, four times a year where you completely swap out the the showroom, right? Yes, yes. And that's a that's a huge undertaking, and so you're working sort of months in advance. I'm assuming to let all your vendors know what you want and what's going to be leaving and what new things you want coming. Yeah, and I think like we we only have nine thousand square feet total. Holland and Cherry probably takes up twenty five hundred square feet of that. Um, so like we we're, we're confined by the walls, so we can't show everything all the time. Uh, so we have we have to keep it moving. Like our goal is not to just keep adding square footage to the showroom so we can show more stuff. Uh, we, we have to recycle it. And, and that takes a lot of time and effort. And the vendors sometimes don't really understand why we want to do it so quickly. I think they worry that the client hasn't enough, had enough time to see it or live with it. Um, but you, I mean, c- clients are like, their minds are like steel traps. They see it once and they'll, they'll recall it for like five years ago. Be like, remember that chair <laughs> you had in this corner? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or it's interesting, you know, we keep a lot of the things and we just move them into a totally new vignette and we get so many designers like, oh, I love that new console. Yeah, just came And I'm in. like, oh, yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that great? Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah. I would never tell them we've had it for like three years. <laughs> But you know, it's 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 interesting that how much that does change things, and I think too, like a lot of the old business models, it's like you don't sell things off the floor, and we're totally like pro selling things off the floor. A, it helps designers when they need something for an install. B, it helps us because then we can show it in something different, like Stephen said. So, uh, so that part of the business for us is, I guess we do things a little differently in that way too. Well, and so so let's talk about that a little bit. So you both spent time working for Ainsworth Noah, which is sort of one of the most well-known multi-line showrooms, certainly in the Atlanta market, if not in the whole country, right? Oh yeah, right? absolutely. And, yeah. and, and Hal and Witten built into this incredible business and it's, uh, and, and it's, it's still a massive business space. I know Dennis has scaled it back a little bit square footage-wise yes. from, from what it once was. But, uh, but I'm, I'm wondering sort of what you learned from being in, in, in that kind of a space, working for that kind of an organization, and what you took with you and, and what you were also sort of eager to, to change when you finally did get out on your own. Yeah. So the first thing that I learned from uh, Winton was that you always pay the vendor the day you get the check from the client. <laughs> so like from an accounting, like from a business ethical practices, Winston and Hal did it like no other. Like, so I, I took that. That was the first thing I learned. That's so, so even interesting. If, okay. Even if I couldn't pay the rent, I paid the vendor first. Right. There, were, there was never any question of that because hmm. you don't want that reputation. <laughs> so I knew that. Uh, the other thing that I was curious about is rent is not cheap and they had a lot of square footage and they would show a lot of, even they would have multiples of the same sample and different fabrics. So I was very curious. I wanted a space that was manageable. I felt like the amount of square footage, I know I couldn't manage myself. And so I, that was the number one thing for me. I wanted manageable square footage. And I also wanted square footage that product wouldn't get lost in. It was that sweet spot of square footage. Like, 
as you grow and new vendors come. And I mean, we've had to turn, you know, now we we're fortunate to have the problem of vendors coming to us, a very different story than in 2010. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, now we have to turn vendors down right. because we don't have the space, but that's okay. That's okay. Because I think what it also does is it keeps our vision and our brand tighter to be sure that everything we show is exactly in line with what we're doing and what we're selling. So I think that the editing standpoint was something that I took from from working there that I thought I thought that that was something that should be very important. Mm-hmm. So and I, I think that we definitely felt that they had a, a more is more mentality. Yes. Um, and, and we <laughs> we we are constantly proven that less is more like sometimes we'll sell stuff off the floor and we'll feel like oh my god is the showroom too bare um and then it it, fe- it appears to operate even better like people can see things better so definitely definitely we're a less is more showroom at the moment but i, I think hi- hindsight too like hal and winton when we worked for them like it wasn't what we are today like when Hal and Winton started they started just selling wicker i think in a 2000 square foot showroom in adac too yeah i mean like it, they didn't right they grew sure. to be what they were <laughs> it didn't, it didn't <laughs> yeah. happen overnight and grew and grew yeah. and grew yes yeah and then it, and, it, yeah. and then it's like what do you do when you get to that like you're you're right. just there how did it happen it just yeah. happened overnight so i mean i don't I don't like, I don't know. I don't fault them or anything. I think it just happened. Well, they intentionally didn't like say, we've got to get 45,000 square feet by 2005. <laughs> we got to get, we got to yeah. claim half that floor. <laughs> they had line, they had lines come to them and they had gray lines come to them. And they, I, I, we don't, I mean, they don't, they don't want to say no. I, I do think though, we're in a different time now. I mean, rent is more expensive than it probably, it was back then. And, sure. Um, it's, so things are just, People think about space differently, I think. Um, so, so that's a lot of it. And then the other thing that I took, I'm a, I like music as my other passion. And so uh, I just hated the music that they played there. Like, <laughs> just, I still have, just, I mean, I, it, it played through the phone. It just wasn't, it just wasn't what I wanted <laughs> for my, my vision. <laughs> So I said, we're going to put in a stereo in the space. It's going to be loud. We're going to play music. And it's and it's all, again, we're going to have a, a certain scent in the showroom. It's all about the experience that we create in our space that I think is so important to subtly sell the brand. Um, so I, for- I well- forgot about the music <laughs> playing through the phones. That, that- <laughs> Yeah, I didn't yes. like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're taking a quick break to remind you about Industry West and its amazing trade program. This company has helped furnish stunning office, restaurant, and hospitality spaces throughout North America. Industry West's trade program allows its team to collaborate with interior designers, architects, restaurateurs, hoteliers, and business owners to expedite all of your projects and trade needs. From trade discounts to an industry best warranty, Industry West is built to work with designers on amazing projects. Check them out at industrywest.com and click on the trade program to register. And now, back to the show. So let's let's talk about some of the some of the challenges of the of the multi-line showroom model. 
part of part of why I was so eager to talk to you guys is that you are a shining example of the multi-line model working at a time where there are some in the industry and we and we mentioned that you used to have Kyle Bunting for example and, and and we've and we've had Kyle on the show and and Kyle was was very open about talking about leaving multi-line showrooms and he didn't think it worked for for him um, and I'm and I'm wondering sort of what what you guys think about about that and and sort of why why you think it works for for you. So I think the f- the first reason that it works for us is and like you just said, Dennis, is it's the relationships that we have with the design community here. Mm-hmm. People buy from people. At the end of the day, they just do. Yeah. Let's be honest. How many English arm sofas can you get from how many different showrooms or stores in Atlanta? A lot. So you probably are going to buy that sofa from the person that you like the best, most likely. Um, And then the other part about it is I think multi-line showrooms might become complacent with allowing the vendors to do all the work. They allow the vendors to set their floor samples. They allow their vendors to do all the marketing. Steven and I have a very heavy hand on uh, (laughs) the display, the display, the marketing. We don't just take, you know, vendor photography and just, you know, e-blast it out. We try to do our our own e-blast that have our brand involved. Mm -hmm. We try to do our own photo shoots. The best way I can describe it is I believe that we are true partners with our vendors. We don't just let our vendors do the work. We don't, you know, it's more than just putting a salesperson to sell the line. We do a lot more. And that's the, I think that's the difference. Steven, what, what do you think? Um, I agree with all of that. And I, th- I, I think too, that we, we like pick, pick our battles. Um, we don't try to like take things that maybe the vendor doesn't think that we've earned, or we've recently entered into different vendor agreements that aren't like full territories like we are normally used to. So we, we try to be a little flexible um, with the terms of things. And I think over time, we are able to gain the trust and respect of those vendors. And uh, we usually end up ending up at the place that we probably w- wish we would have started at, which is fine. I don't know. And then I, I, I was excited to talk to you about this too, because when we talk about multi-line showrooms not succeeding, um, like w- w- what is... What is the the metric that we're talking about? Like, from whose perspective um, are right. we are we saying that the showrooms aren't working? Is it the landlord's perspective? Is it the vendor's perspective? Is it the designer's perspective? What what have you been able to like boil that down to? Well, I think that's a really great point, and I think that uh, so- sometimes there's this feeling that some of these showrooms feel a little tired. They feel yeah. right a little a little yeah. dated. And, you know, when we when we first talked about you guys opening your space in 2015, shortly thereafter, there were a lot of remodels that happened in in the Atlanta Design Center. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because people saw what you did and they thought we we better step it up. But without that prompting, often things stay very much the same for a long time. Yeah. Uh, And. Right, and and I think that uh, the the other point that you were making is often you come into a multi line showroom and it seems very vendor driven. Yeah, and yeah. and there isn't sort of a cohesive story or, or, or strong statement. Right, and so I think sometimes that's 
confusing or 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 doesn't inspire to to use that that word because I do believe that back in the day designers came to design centers to be inspired and I think they're they're aching for that opportunity again for years we talked about showroom traffic going down because people were able to do things online or people just weren't feeling the need to be there physically as much. Yeah. I believe that part of the reason that happened in the same way with retail, we just didn't make it a compelling enough experience for yeah. them, 100%, right? 100%. To come to. And that's and that's what you guys live and breathe. You're all about the experience. You're all about come back a few months from now, as you were saying earlier, and you're going to see something new and different, and we're going to keep you engaged. And that's what you have to do today. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I think that people sort of sometimes write off this multi-line model, and I, and I get it. It's very challenging. How many, how many vendors do you guys have altogether? I think maybe 19. Right. Yeah. So 19, I'm guessing, pretty big personalities. In, in, <laughs> right? 19 personalities. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's very hard to, to manage. And, and every, every brand has their, their own idea of their look and feel or yeah. how they want to be shown or maybe who they want to be next to or don't want to be next to or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and, and you're trying to articulate your brand and, and make them all fit in a way that sort of raises the, the look and feel of, of everyone. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's a lot to, to manage. Yeah, I remember when I signed on uh, Jean de Mary, I told Christian, I said, you know, I, I mix all the lines together. He's like, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we need a branded Jean de Mary space. And I said, Christian, just, just let's get the samples to Atlanta and I... I'll show you some pictures of what what we're going to do with it. And he it was so funny cuz he's like, oh, "Okay, you can do you guys can do whatever you want." <laughs> he's like, "Now we trust you." <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 winning that trust, you know, I'm I'm so curious in the early days who you who you really wanted to get in the in the early showroom that was that was challenging for you to to win over was there a was there a brand or two that you remember oh we've got to get yeah yeah there the, yeah uh so jean de mary was one <laughs> i had found them through caraman and i just thought what they did was so cool uh or what they do it still is uh blackman cruise was another one mm. uh we don't have them now but we did for a while uh, that was a that was also a line that just that I wanted the Atlanta market to understand it, and unfortunately they just didn't. But it was awesome when we had it. Our, <laughs> um, and our, I, our, our longest courtship by far was Dimitri. We we were in talks with them for, oh, for yeah. probably two years, I would think. Oh, at least. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to the showroom with my mom. I remember going to the showroom with Stephen. They have such a distinct and wonderful brand. Yes. I think the idea of a multi-line showroom was very scary for them initially. And so we had to really take a lot of time telling them how we were going to do things with their brand. And that was a that was a tough sale. You're right, Stephen. That took two years. Uh, Lieg is another brand that I always wanted, but I wasn't quite sure if that brand was going to work for us because they are so set in their ways with their display. Uh, yeah. But even they kind of uh, have opened up a little bit. 
I, I would say a little bit, <laughs> a little not too much. Empty poo, empty poo. Just but, maybe yeah. like you can put someone yeah. else's like accessory in their space. That's it. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it, it, it is very challenging. And I wonder, you, know, you mentioned, Dimitri, it took them such a long time to feel comfortable being in a multi-line showroom. I mean, to our to our point about multi-line showrooms, what made them uncomfortable with that? Because there are many brands that we talk to that just say, I will never be. Urban Electric says, I will never be in a multi-line showroom, period, end of story. Why do some people feel that way? What, what are they, what's their perception? I think they're, they're worried about their brand, and I don't fault them for it. And with Urban Electric, you know, they're doing something that works. So why change it? You know, sure. but I also think there are plenty of there are plenty of brands that don't don't want to sell on their own. They don't even have the capacity. I mean, Dennis, some of the lines we sell are literally one man show. They <laughs> they make everything in their like barn. I mean, it's like crazy <laughs> in like Northern California. I mean, it's like they're artists. Yeah. They're artists, and yeah. so what we love is we can help brand them. And they're never going to be Urban Electric. They don't want to be. Right. But, I, there, you know, there's a place for, for every brand. And whether it's in a multi-line showroom, whether it's not in a multi-line showroom, uh, it, it, there's a place for it. And it works. But I, we do uh, get comments from our clients all the time. They're like, gosh, I wish you could carry Urban Electric. Uh, my clients just want to see it. I could sell so much more if they could see it. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't want to discount. Do you hear that, Dave yeah. Dawson? Are you listening? <laughs> but, I, but I do think that I respect him. Like, he's controlling his business in that there's, oh. there's just like, that's that. I have, I have such enormous been, respect for him. I, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's controlling his brand. Yes. And I think that that's great. Now, so, I mean, Urban Electric, I have to admit, is one of my favorite collections on the market. So I would love to have it. <laughs> I, was, I would love to have an Urban Electric lighting room. <laughs> well, and I and I know you're very passionate about lighting in general. I right? love lighting. Right? Yes, yeah. it's my favorite. Yes, it's my favorite. But so, but, huh? it, but it's so interesting in, the, in that context of, uh, as you were saying, maybe giving up a little bit of control, how mm -hmm. they'll be shown. Uh, or, or, or whatever people perceive, some people are just worried they won't get the attention that you won't, right? That you won't look after them. I mean, that's not your reputation. You, you've convinced all these brands. And now, as you were saying earlier, you sometimes have to sort of turn brands away. You don't have the space or, or you can't make it, make it work. But I mean, I, I, we, we, we have so much for like respect for our brands. Respect even isn't the right word. Like a, a lot of these brands, we have like lusted after for a long time and are, we feel fortunate enough to carry and the, the way that they perceive us is very important to us. We want to, we want to do them proud. Let's say I was apparatus and I was saying that I'm going to make it my goal to be in a major showroom all around the country. Like, I don't know if I could pinpoint all of those showrooms, you know? So it's not like they can just say, Oh, well, we'll just go in Atlanta and we'll do the rest ourselves. So like that, I, I get that that's a struggle for them too. Like what, what is their incentive to um, give up a large part of their revenue to a showroom that they don't feel like is doing anything for them? And I also think too that there's a there's inconsistency in multiple multi-line showrooms. You know, they're all owned by different people. Like they don't, you know, you go into a Liege showroom anywhere in the country, it's going to feel the same. Well, you go into a, a multi-line showroom in Atlanta versus a multi-line showroom in Chicago, LA, they're all very different. You know, um, I think they're, 
catering towards what's working for their market. But as a branding standpoint, I think that's a scary thing for for someone with a strong brand identity, for sure. I mean, if I owned a a company like Dimitri, I mean, I would feel the same way. I would not, I would be very apprehensive just to sign the dotted line on a bunch of multi-line showrooms. It just, I wouldn't probably do that myself. So I get, I mean, I get it. Yeah, no, I I get it as well. And and I think it's, it's part of why RH has been so successful in in sort of transforming restoration hardware into into what RH is now. They've taken a very strong point of view and they've edited and they've gotten rid of a lot and they and they create an experience. We talked about this a little bit the other day. I mean, do they do they come up a lot in your world and and if so, sort of what's that conversation like? I mean, we have clients that, you know, first of all, I think there's a need for every, for their business model, there's a need for our business model. I mean, what we're selling is quite different from restoration hardware, um, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I would say that we have clients that are very, you know, they only want the highest end things and they, you know, they want everything from, you know, the top, top brands, their clients can afford that. That's what they want. Um, we, there are people that we don't work with, but even our brands aren't even high enough in for them. Their clients want all custom. There's people that want a whole house out of restoration hardware. There are clients that mix what we sell with RH. I mean, you know, I don't know. I think there's, there's different views on it, depending on who you talk to or who you work with. (laughs) But I I remember when restoration hardware was just like a little hardware store that, I mean, I, I used to find those stores so inspiring as a kid, go in there and like look at their paint colors or look at towels. And like, I, j- I just loved it. Um, oh, yeah. But now when they opened the restoration hardware in Atlanta, we went, it was fine. It's big. It's impressive. But that, <laughs> that showroom opened probably five or six years ago. And it is exactly the same as it was when I walked through it on opening night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and they, they, and going back to, you know, that's what was crazy to me about their business model is it's exactly what I was thought wasn't working when I worked at Ainsworth. It was that your, their show like the same thing, like, you know, four or five times. And I'm like, real estate is too valuable. And does it lose feeling special when you show it that many times? To me, it does. But, you know, to Stephen's point, I mean, I remember the our, our, the Restoration Hardware paint color, Silver Sage. It was their signature paint color. <laughs> I was in high school. I went there with my mom. I said, this paint color is so innovative. It's exactly what I want. I'm going to paint my whole room that color. I painted uh, I painted uh, my apartment creamware in, in college, which was another Restoration Hardware color. I mean, I remember the, the brand very well. You know, it's it stuck out to me. And so maybe what they're doing today sticks out with other people in a different way, you know, because what they were doing when I was younger stuck out to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they've, as we were saying, I think they've created a look. I, I think that they've created a, a, a feel and, and certain people sort of gravitate to that. And uh, and they're very focused on providing an experience and, and restaurants and all of that. Um, and I think we always, as an industry, have to look at what's going on out there around us and, and what people are gravitating towards and, and responding to. Uh, and 
we as the interior design industry always seems to be a little bit behind the curve on many of these things. And so whether it's online shopping, and I, and I don't know if, if online is a, is a big part of your world, or do, do you feel like a lot of people have, have shopped you somewhat before they come to the showroom, things that they've seen on the site? I think they do. Yeah. yeah. I think people kind of research online. I still think with high end, people want to touch, feel it, sit in it, especially, I mean, especially upholstery. I think some of the lighting people could be comfortable seeing online and maybe purchasing, but they still like to ask if it's in the showroom, if they can come see it. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think it's for us, for the high end uh, furnish furnishings world, it's more of a research research Mm -hmm. platform it's not an actual transaction platform but like you said dennis i mean we didn't get to where we are today from being complacent and not forward thinking i mean you know when apparatus came to us and said you have to buy all your samples i was like oh my god that's crazy no one has told us we have to do that and i was like but we have to do it we have to have that (laughs) we We have to have apparatus (laughs) this is what we're doing we're buying the samples we're doing it we're the, you know, yeah. so we, yes, you, you have to be aware of what other people are doing and, and not be afraid to do something differently just because it's what you didn't know before, you know? So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that the, the industry needs to sort of keep moving forward. And I think that as we talked about earlier, there's definitely this sense that you have elevated things at, at ADAC. And I think many people sort of look to you to, to maybe learn some some lessons, whether it's doing your own photography, as you've talked about, which I think is so important in terms of controlling your, your image, and, and even sort of just how you keep things fresh and, and keep, a, keep an energy and a, and a newness. I think that's one of the biggest challenges in design centers, is just maintaining that energy and that newness and freshness because many designers are coming back all the time and and they need that right yeah absolutely and i mean i think the only thing that i can credit that to is just our passion of about the industry i mean we love it i mean we get excited to see what our clients are working on i love looking at their boards not even to not even necessarily to sell them something i just love i love the industry. I love being around it. I, I love being inspired. I want to inspire other people. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that, that separates different different showrooms. You, you, you can feel the, the energy and the passion or, or sometimes the lack of that. And, and, and it might just be that people are in different places in their careers. And, Absolutely. Right? And they, they had a lot of energy in the early days and maybe they've, they've been doing it for a long time. And and part of the part of the challenge for all of us is how do we sort of keep that that passion alive? You guys love what you do so much, and it and it comes through. Yeah, but we're also only ten years into this. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> you're not worn out yet. But uh, yeah, those those showroom resets may not be happening in, in twenty thirty. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so I mean, speaking of sort of everyone coming back and and designers, so we're you've you've, you've reopened at, at ADAC now uh, to the general audience i mean what's what's been the the reaction the response it sounds like people are eager to come back it sounds like parking lots have been full it's been surprisingly good uh everyone has been respectful everyone's been wearing their mask um but yeah people are people are wanting their homes redone 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the parking lot's been like, it's like a design week at ADAC the past two weeks. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's totally full. Clients are coming in. Their, their projects are either just starting and restarting. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the... The energy is 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 definitely back, uh, even though it is a it's a it's a bit different experience in a mask and just different. But it's good. I mean, it's it's good. Uh, business is there. Business is there. People are eager to come back. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to to get to spend time with you guys. I I really appreciate it. I'm I'm excited that the showroom is back open. I'm excited that designers are coming back, and I I really appreciate you spending time with me and and talking about your business. Well, thank you so much for having us. This has been something that I I was hoping I would have the honor to do or you would ask me to do. So when we got the email, I was really excited. So uh, even though we're not in New York, uh, it was still great. Uh, I do love an excuse to come to New York anytime. So we'll have to we'll have to meet in New York one day. Well, I look forward to that, and and when New York seems more hospitable, we'll uh, we'll do that. New York's not New York's not quite ready for visitors yet, but right? No, no, I understand, <laughs> especially from Georgia. But, <laughs> exactly, it's yeah. a big adjustment, but I yeah. but I do look forward to getting to spend time with you both. And huge congratulations on the five year anniversary. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, five year of the Sherm and ten year of the business. So. Yeah, it's crazy. That's huge, and it's and yeah. it, it's been uh, it, it's been quite a quite a journey. So, congratulations to you both, and, and thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest news, visit us online at businessofhome.com. An important announcement: the Future of Home Conference is back. Last year's event was a thrilling series of conversations about the issues that matter most in the interior design industry. This year, we're taking the event online. We'll still be live, but the conference will be broadcast directly to you. On September 14th and 15th, join us to hear important discussions with leading thinkers on how the design landscape is being transformed and the challenges and opportunities that have arisen in the midst of a complex time. Tickets are now available, and attendance is free of charge to BOH insiders. To learn more, visit futureofhome.com. Finally, if you have any thoughts or a story of your own to share, please drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. This show was produced by Fred Nicholas and Marina Felix. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you next time.